This is the Shift Podcast. And sitting in for Shane this morning is Martin Strong. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, the 2023 Grammy Awards are here. Should we care? Eric Alper, Canadian music correspondent, blogger, and radio host, tells us more about the lasting impact of the Grammys, why the show has had some rough years lately, and if it is still the biggest night in music. Can artificial intelligence write a screenplay? Ryan O'Donnell is the millennial on the radio, and he tells us about a Seinfeld-like TV show created entirely by AI. And are you okay with Karens? How about using your parents' credit card? That's today on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. The Grammys uh, were last night, and I got to admit, I kind of liked it. It was a pretty good show. I thought it was long, four hours. They're always long. But not that the bar is that high. Uh, the, the Grammys have a, a bit of a history of uh, getting things wrong. I mean, Harry Styles, album of the year, that one may be debatable. But uh, look back, Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, he won three Grammys in his lifetime, all in the uh, religious sacred category. No awards for Elvis Presley's rock and roll. But that's all history. Uh, Tonight uh, was a big show. Uh, Beyonce set a record. She got four more statues. So now she has 32, the most Grammy Awards for any performer. Um, Previously held by a uh, classical conductor, George Solti, who died in 1997. Uh, Viola Davis gets an EGOT. She won a Grammy for reading her memoir, Finding Me. Um, And uh, so that means she now has an EGOT. That's an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. And uh, she beat out a bunch of other famous people like Mel Brooks, who read his uh, audio audio book as well. So did you see it? Did you last through all four hours? Do you care about the Grammys? Uh, what's your favorite album right now? Uh, I know Brandy Carlisle. Everyone's talking about Brandy Carlisle now. She was she was pretty good on the show. I thought I was the only one. I thought I didn't realize she was so popular, but she is. Uh, send us a text eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Uh, give us your name, where you're from, and tell us, uh, you know, whether you care. What, who do you like? Uh, what are you listening to? And do you think the Grammys are are worth having? And right now, we'd like to go to someone who knows a thing or two about the world of music. Eric Alper is a music reporter, publicist. You can check out his always entertaining blog, thatericalper.com. Uh, Eric, thanks for being here. A long show. How How many awards were there? I, I, you know, I, so far they've given out 973 awards, it feels like, um, eight of them are on the broadcast. Those are the ones that, uh, most people care about, but, um, easily one of the best well put together shows I've seen for the Grammys. The performances were great. Seemed if you were in a gospel group somewhere in America, you might've been on the broadcast tonight. It seems like <laughs> nine of the 10. So, you know, that I watch had a gospel um, choir, which, you know, look, the world needs more gospel. So bring it on. 
Yeah, it surely seemed like a spectacle. I'm sure you were watching it a lot close, closer than I was. But every time I, I was looking at the screen, it was some big performance and lots of costumes, lots of people. So I, I guess that's what it should be. That's what the Grammy should be, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, this is this is they call it music's biggest night for a reason. It's their coming out party. It's the one night where you can actually see a huge rise in streams and views on YouTube and album sales on uh, uh, it, both in the record store and online. I mean, this is why out of the, you know, 90 odd awards, they make sure that the very best performers and the categories are on the broadcast, even though that, um, you know, for, for the most part, uh, there seems to be a um just like it's not a lack of an audience but certainly a drop in audience year after year after year not just for the grammys but the junos are having a little bit of this problem um the oscars uh the emmys uh the golden globes it seems that all of these award shows are just trying to get people to watch on regular television and for a great majority of teenagers, the next up and coming music buyers, they're not really watching television. I mean, they might be, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, you think, well, they're not watching television. They're watching Netflix or they're not watching television, but they're watching videos on you on TikTok. I mean, they're watching something. But network television um, is just something that it's always a little bit of a struggle trying to get people to watch compared to years past. But certainly when you have um, performers like Sam Smith, um, they did an amazing tribute to the 50th anniversary of hip hop with all these old school artists. Um, Brandy Carlisle was amazing. So this is just their opportunity to have, um, you know, the world's biggest artists come, you know, shine on one stage. Yeah. And I guess that's the one thing that the Grammys has that the Oscars and the Emmys don't have is because when you're watching the Oscars, it's all about movies, but you can't really see the movies. Yeah. You can only see clips, but, but you can actually see, you know, Harry Styles. That would be really great though. If like during the Oscars, <laughs> they had Al Pacino come up and then he starts to do skits. <laughs> you know, like or or Robert De Niro just suddenly go into you know Goodfellas, and he's this is why I won the the Oscar for all these years. Um, but yeah, you know, um, for and especially because of the way that ticket sales and how hard it is to get tickets and how expensive it is to get yeah. tickets for some of these big tours, um, like Beyonce and Taylor Swift. Harry Styles, Lizzo. I mean, they're in the $500 range to start going all the way up to $10,000 ticket. This might be one of their biggest fans only way to see them perform live um, this year. So um, the Grammys were able to, uh, to gather up people together, um, even though that, you know, the, the, the ratings are dropping and uh, um, but, you know, like o overall it's, it's been, um, such an exciting and a record and, and a huge record breaking year for a lot of people. Beyonce is now the most awarded Grammy performer in music history. Adele is absolutely right up there winning song of the year. So she's 
won in that category, um, you know, almost more times than anybody else. Um, but you got to see, you know, Willie Nelson winning two for the older people. Um, ABBA was nominated four times uh, tonight. And so you got to see a little bit of the uh, of, of the older people come through. It's not just like, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't know who <laughs> these people are. Um, like even during the, you know, quite solemn in memorial segment, um, there was a lovely tribute to Christine McVie um, and Loretta Lynn and the, the, the Christine McVie had Mick Fleetwood, the drummer for the band and Cheryl Crow and Bonnie Raitt. Um, and uh, the Loretta Lynn one um, was pretty amazing. Casey Musgrave sang coal miners daughter in tribute to the late great country singer. Um, and, you know, on the Canadian side, Michael Bublé and Drake, they, they won Grammy Award tonight. Michael Buble brought home the best traditional pop vocal album, while um, Drake won for best melodic rap performance on a song by Future called Wait For You. So even though that Drake is still sticking to his I'm not submitting for the Grammys or the Junos, the artist that Drake is performing with in duets, they submitted. And even though that he doesn't want to submit or care about any award shows, he's still walking home with Grammys. Right. We're talking to Eric Alper. Uh, you can find him online. That EricAlper.com is his uh, blog website, and it's a very entertaining website. It's that EricAlper.com. And uh, he was watching the uh, the Grammys, taking notes. And uh, you may have met, you may have answered this already, because uh, I'm guessing kind of Beyonce. But what do you think is the one takeaway? I mean, there was no uh, Will Smith slap or you know Kanye <laughs> West, Kanye West getting up on stage or anything. But what's the what's going to be the headline that's the that most people are going to see tomorrow? Yeah, I think it's going to be Beyonce. Just the fact that um that all of her album, uh, like pretty much all the songs off of Renaissance that was nominated tonight, won. She won for the best traditional R and B performance. She won for best R and B song. She won the best dance recording for Break My Soul. Um, and she's the most decorated artist in Grammy history. So she is absolutely going to be um all of the headlines. Um, even though that you know she came late with Jay Z. Apparently they were stuck in traffic. I think as a publicist, maybe you just. Maybe you just decide to show up fashionably late. So everybody <laughs> is making sure that they know that when you're arriving. But certainly Beyonce is isn't just going to be, I think, the story for tomorrow. I think that forevermore, um, she's going to be the one to beat. Um, right. You know, that record has has basically, you know, been set um, since the early 1990s. So um, there's nobody really that that. I think can come close, maybe Taylor Swift, um, maybe Adele, but they're at least another, you know, five or six or seven albums away from even attempting to break it. Um, I think if you're part of the younger generation, um, Sam Smith and uh, and their collaborator, Kim Petras, um, they took the award home for best pop duo performance for their song called Unholy, which hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Kim is not only the first transsexual to uh, to hit number one on Billboard, but she is but they are now the first um, transsexual to um, to bring home a Grammy Award, um, which is a, a, a amazing um, online on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. People have been following um, Kim's journey for a long time. She was 16 
when um, when she transitioned and a very public one. And right from the time she was about 17 or 18, started to go into the music scene, telling her story. So in a in a world where in some countries, America, I'm looking at you, um, they seem to have a problem accepting um, trans, accepting the pronouns of they and them. Um, Kim is going to be um, one of these people that I think will be talked about for a long time in the same way that that you and I might have been talking about Madonna wriggling around the stage during the MTV Awards and being a real beacon of of hope and uh of talent for maybe there's a lot of teenagers out there who are struggling with their sexuality uh and kim is definitely going to lead um these people to be you know maybe a little bit more comfort in what they're going through Mm -hmm. and we did see madonna up there didn't we we did. We saw parts of her, um, you know, certainly, you know, she is 64 years old and like the old joke said, um, but her face is uh, 12, um, right. but she looks remarkably different. Um, and she spoke about the fact that if you are controversial, if you are um, kind of kicking against the man, if you are doing something risky, um, the music industry sees you and will support you in doing that. Rock and roll is supposed to be dangerous. Rock and roll is supposed to take aim at the people in power and yell and scream and sing about what's going on in the world, trying to make it a better place. So when Madonna showed up, it was pretty apt that she introduced Sam and Kim for their performance of Unholy, um, considering how much controversy that song and both those performers have brought to the stage around the world. And Madonna's going out on tour this year. Yes. And, and I think this is an interesting trend in, in music that I don't think we've seen on this scale before. People who are in their 60s, in their 70s. I look at Bob Dylan, who's making, yeah. the, I think, in some ways, some of the best music of his career now. And, uh, you know, in a way, that's kind of the cutting edge are these really old perform, not really old, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, but, right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like people in there, traditionally not the rock and roll age, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we can thank the Rolling Stones and blues yeah. artists for that. You know, nobody had a problem with B.B. King going out on the road in its 70s and 80s. And nobody had a problem um, with somebody like Buddy Guy um, in the blues world touring in his 70s and 80s. But, you know, I, I think I think most people saw or remembered Mick Jagger saying in his 30s that there was no way that he was going to be singing I Can't Go No Satisfaction in his 40s. Um, because when you're in a rock and roll band, you you just didn't do those things. You retired or you your band broke up or somebody died. Um, but now we're seeing artists get more healthier, um, more richer and they're almost like athletes where it's like, let's just do this for 30 years and stay alive. And then we have the rest of our lives to do whatever we want to do. Look at a band like U2, where, you know, we remember them in the, in the you know, starting in the late 70s and breaking through in the 80s. And here they are. All the four members um, are back. They've got a brand new album. They're going to be going out on tour very, very soon as well. They've been active since 1976 um, with the same members. So it, it's, it's, you're looking at you two, even Coldplay to a certain extent. They've been around since the early 90s all together too. So they're heading into their 40s and 50s um, with no end in sight there's 
um, there's nothing to stop these artists from touring. They all still think that they're making the most vital music of their career, even though that they may not have the hits on the pop charts as much as they used to, but certainly they're breaking records with the highest attendance shows or the highest grossing concert tours. It's all veteran artists. And, you know, thanks to Elton John and, and Paul McCartney still being able to go out and sell out 25,000 seat stadiums and arenas with no problem whatsoever. They're really building this new road for artists like a Beyonce and Taylor Swift, and even somebody like Olivia Rodrigo, who is barely in her twenties, um, cleaning up at the Grammy Awards a couple of years ago or last year, um, she's probably looking at this industry saying there is no reason for me to think that I could be washed up and over by 25 if I play my cards right. I could be doing this in my 50s. But it all started with the blues artists and the Rolling Stones. We're talking to Eric Alper. That EricAlper.com is his website. We're talking about the Grammys, the 65th annual Grammy Awards. Uh, all the uh, the history that was made tonight, Beyonce, now the most winningest uh, performer for Grammys. Um, and uh, I guess one of the big winners tonight at the Grammys was TikTok. <laughs> Would you say that's true? Yeah, TikTok is completely revolutionizing the way that the music industry is. If anybody's listening to pop music today, you will probably know that songs are getting shorter and they're kind of, you know, there's not a whole lot of old school songs, meaning that, you know, when you and I, we were listening to music, here's a verse and here's a chorus and here's another verse and here's the bridge and here's the chorus and then another chorus and they might all be different. Now TikTok is allowing artists to um, produce and come up with 15 second versions of the song or 30 second versions of the song. And they're really bringing music into a whole generation of people who want um, they want to listen to what they want, when they want, however many times they want. And it's kind of forcing artists to be on social media all the time. It's it's kind of allowing them to be more creative. But if you go through last year's Hot 100 on Billboard, it's something like 45 to 50% of all the songs that made the chart last year essentially broke through TikTok first. It wasn't commercial radio, which tends to be a little bit slower on the mark, adding songs to rotation. Um, sometimes if you're somebody like Harry Styles, by the time that um, you know the album is out, within days there are hundreds of thousands of people across the country making videos of their own for harry Styles songs and that's how they're becoming really popular so tiktok is absolutely winning um winning the social media crowd which you know if uh, i think overall like with all this talk especially in the u.s senate with a government official trying to ban the, the social media platform because of 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 problematic data controls and and scraping data off of younger teenagers and young right. adults um i think the music industry um should be a lot more terrified than what they're leading on because every time that um you know every mention of a banning of the tiktok may have parents a little bit more concerned that their daughter or their son in their teenage years um is giving you know a, com a country like China, some information that they may not already want them to have. So yeah. I think the music industry has to really consider 
how popular that music platform is and, and how they're going to handle it. So far, they've been very, very quiet, which um, kind of startles me a little bit, considering that they're they're so pro artists and pro record label rights. Um, this is going to be a very interesting ride and a fight for the next couple of months. And it's only going to kind of heat up with the, uh, you know, surveillance balloons being yeah. shot out of the sky from China. So, I'm Yeah. So I mean, all, all it really needed was that this balloon was sponsored by Beyonce. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, but yeah, you know, like it's it, it, it's funny because, you know, music is never really about music. Music is all about connection with the audience. Music is some artists writing a song in complete isolation away from everybody else in the world, not having a clue if more than 15 people are ever going to hear it for whatever reason. It's about doing a live show and putting all the money that you make aside. And it's about having 20,000 people in an arena, all sing back those songs that you wrote alone. And when you see um, what's going on with social media, with misinformation, with government officials trying to stop certain social media sites. Um, it, 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 it becomes bigger than just a song. It becomes how music is being consumed and how art is being consumed in general. Um, and I think, you know, where, where we can specifically talk about music, there's no reason to think um, that TikTok or other sites can't be used for the film industry or television industry for their promotion. And they should be really worried as well. I'm not saying that that the government officials now are, are wrong in it, but we, uh, the music industry has relied so heavily on something like TikTok to break new artists um, because they're certainly not touring across Canada. Um, they're not hopping in the van um, with their three best friends. Um, they're not necessarily dreaming about winning a Juno or a Grammy these days. They're dreaming about trying to get a million followers on TikTok or Instagram. And, and it's just a, it's just a whole new world out there about promotion. Well, that's a great point. And and I have to say your enthusiasm for the Grammys tonight is kind of uh, it, it's kind of infectious. And oh. my my last question was going to be about, you know, do do we even care about the Grammys? Does anybody care about the Grammys? But I sort of feel like judging by your reaction to it and what I saw, um, the Grammys still have some some life in them. Yeah, you know, and and, and it, it's just like the Oscars and the Emmy. Nobody really remembers a week from now who won. I mean, I couldn't even tell you who won the best picture in the Oscars. I can tell you who won the Grammys because it's kind of my job. Um, but when you when you have performers at their peak, when you kind of settled into, um, you know, even an even an artist like Bad Bunny who is one of the world's biggest artists, but maybe a lot of people may not know who he is in the Spanish Latin music world. Um, he's, he's set, you know, he's hitting a stride that the music industry really hasn't seen from a, a, an artist whose first language singing is not English. And this is the way that the world is, you know, going back to, to, the importance and the popularity of TikTok, of Facebook, of Instagram, of Twitter. It really does bring people closer together. And when some person listening in Edmonton or Calgary or Vancouver or Victoria starts listening to music halfway around the world, um, that is only a good thing. It does actually bring bring people together. And nights like this, you know, is sheer proof of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is really amazing. And, and I guess also the in memoriam thing, uh, I, I, I always find those things kind of moving, but this year, especially because 
uh, you mentioned Christine McVie and yeah. uh, Loretta Lynn and all that. So, I mean, I guess those are only going to get more yeah, and they're, more they're touching more every more, year. Right. You know, they mentioned David Crosby. They mentioned Ian Tyson, um, you know, uh, Ronnie Hawkins. Um, they, they mentioned uh, almost everybody that you would want to be recognized from it. Um, but it's something that we better get used to because there are a lot of artists that are hitting their 60s and 70s and 80s that we grew up listening to. Um, and, you know, even though that you and I aren't going to age and we're going to stay the same age forever. Of course, everybody else around us is getting older. So um, like I, you, you know, like I always say, like when these artists come around to your city, um, this is your warning that, um, you know, go see them when they're still around. Cause you know, maybe sooner than, than later um, they may not be uh, around to tour anymore. Yeah, it's very true. I remember John Prine, uh, he was scheduled to play a concert uh, in Vancouver just before COVID. And uh, yeah. I was thinking about buying tickets and then it got canceled because of COVID. And uh, he, of course, died from COVID. Yeah. So that was it for John Pride. So I'll, I'll yeah. leave it on a kind of a depressing note. But but Eric, uh, if people want to read some of the insight uh, that you have about the Grammys, they can go to thatericalper.com or follow Eric on Twitter, thatericalper.com. Uh, on Twitter because you always have the cool insight and uh, it's always a lot of fun. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Uh, thanks for hanging out with me tonight. I really appreciate it. This is the Shift Podcast. One of the things, uh, I mean, everybody is hearing about in the news is AI. It's getting scary good, right? Yeah. People are using chat GPT to write essays for them in college. Uh, deep fakes are being used in disgusting ways. There was a huge scandal on uh, Twitch, the live streaming platform, when a streamer was caught on a porn site that used deep fake technology to put anybody's face on anything you wanted. And so he got... Uh, rightfully so incredible hatred for what that is and so gross and i mean ai really can do some scary things it really can and also some good things too finding that balance what we will be okay allowing it to do I've, i feel like we're still very much in the process of figuring out just how okay with our with are you okay with uh ai we are but right now as you know, we're getting these scary stories about people using AI to cheat and people using AI for pornography. I thought it would be the perfect time to remind you that AI isn't quite ready to take over the world yet. No, that's yet. good. To, that's good to hear. Yes. Okay. So there's a, a show. It's a web show that is live streamed 24 seven on Twitch, which is where you can watch most live streams, right. whether it's video games or people, you know, just doing random stuff like uh, sleeping. That's a thing people do on Twitch. It's a weird platform. This though might be the weirdest thing I've ever seen on Twitch. The show is called nothing forever. And it is an AI generated show that mimics Seinfeld. And when I say it's AI generated, I mean, it is fully, completely, and utterly generated by artificial intelligence. The animation, the music, and most importantly, the script are all done by AI. Right. Now, the animation looks like a terrible movie that you would have created on Windows Movie Maker in right. the 90s or early 2000s. 
The music is very pixelated and strange, and the voices, you know, it's a uh, text-to-speech is definitely getting better, but you can still tell that it's text-to-speech. But the thing that's really interesting about uh, Nothing Forever is that this show is set to never stop broadcasting. Never. The system that is creating these skits and Seinfeld-like moments will never stop. Really? That's creepy. 24-7. That is totally creepy. It has been on since December and has not stopped once since December. Okay? Wow. Is it bizarre? Is it good? Is it entertaining? Is well, it funny? That's the question. It has grown in popularity. Uh, you know, thousands tune in to watch the adventures of the animated characters, which their names are Larry Feinberg, Fred Castopopoulos, or Castopoulos, and Yvonne Torres, and Zoltan Kalker. Cal right. This is the names of the AI-generated names, okay? All bizarre. Yeah. And it does follow the Seinfeld format. You know, silly, you know, goofy music, and then people getting themselves into awkward scenarios. And as of last Saturday, there was over 131,000 people that subscribe and watch this, which is not an insignificant number. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Now, I would say the show is not funny, mm -hmm. but it is funny because it's ironic. And this is a thing millennials like is ironic humor, something that's very stupid and it's kind of so stupid that it's entertaining. I don't know why we like this. I can't explain it. It's just... It's just weird. So I'm going to show you nothing forever. I'm going to play you a couple of segments from it. But first, I want to set the scene because it's mimicking Seinfeld. So just to reset the conversation, here is a classic moment from Seinfeld that is not made by AI. This is, the actu this is an actual scene from the show that you honestly probably recognize. Um... Uh... One mulligatani and, um, what is that right there? Is that lima bean? Yes. Never been a big fan. <laughs> um, you know what? Does, has anyone ever told you you look exactly like Al Pacino? You know, a scent of a woman. hoo hoo <laughs> Very good. Very good. You know something? Mm. No soup for you! <laughs> Come back. One year. I, I love Seinfeld. I haven't actually watched it full and through, but uh, Larry David is my probably my favorite comedic writer for his work on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Right. So I have a lot of respect for Seinfeld. Yeah. And here is, I have not edited this at all. This is a, a scene that aired on the live stream for nothing forever. Here it is. <laughs> Hey, Yvonne, I heard a really funny joke yesterday. What did they call the bear with no teeth? <laughs> a gummy bear. Ah ha ha ha. That's hilarious. You know what they say? If you don't laugh, you'll cry. That's true. What other jokes do you have up your sleeve? I could use some cheering up. What about that one about the chicken crossing the road? So it's even got the like the weird intro music. And yeah. the chicken crossing the road thing, the reason you don't hear the punchline is because in the actual video, there's dead silence for a solid 20 seconds. 
And then it's just the next scene. They never continue the conversation. Wow. So the AI script makes no sense. Wow. So the AI came up with the joke about the bear with no teeth yes. being a gummy or, bear. Well, and this is an important thing. The AI didn't come up with that. The AI knows that joke exists right. and decided to put it there. Yeah. That's the thing. The AI is incapable of creating something new. It has to come from something that is already existed. Right? Yeah. Which goes on to show that, you know, in Seinfeld, there's obviously the iconic Jerry Seinfeld cutaways when he's at the comedy club, right? Doing his stand-up. Right. Well, Nothing Forever also has comedy club cutaway scenes like this one all right well i was out walking the other day and saw a sign that said smile it could be worse so i smiled and sure enough it got worse <laughs> i love the music the music yeah. is very seinfeldian it's very seinfeld and so this is the thing right it's not objectively funny but the animation too is an element of the comedy. It is so bizarre. There will be scenes where, you know, like, you know, George's character, air quotes, will just fold into a couch. It's bizarre. So, uh, Scar Skylar Hartle of Mismatch Media, which are the people that made this project, told Polygon, which is a web, you know, newspaper for nerds, basically, that he and his co-creator, uh, Brian Happersberger, it's a tough name, started the work on the show about four years ago. Here's the quote. We wanted to see if it was possible to build a new form of media, generating a show with a lot of the tools and methods that were starting to take off, like machine learning. We wanted to create a sort of surreal, eerie, David Lynch-esque show that could run forever as more of an art experiment than anything else. Yeah. And that's how this comes across to me. Is yeah. It's bizarre. And, you know, you do, I would never want to sit down and watch this. But the clips that you'll find on Twitter or TikTok or all over the place are funny, out of context. It makes no sense what's for whatsoever. And this very much is a form of millennial humor that I subscribe to. I do. It's strange, but also, you know, it, it's also pretty incredible to think that this is a computer or software. Yeah. Something it, just created this nonsense and it's weird to think the thing with ai is it is like you say it's important to remember that anything that it gives you is a reflection of us as human yes. beings if we didn't think of it or if then then ai wouldn't be able to present it yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's it kind of creepy all that way. hinges on us so that nonsense that ironic bizarre stupid piece of audio that you just listened to could not have happened without us. Right. And that truly is our advantage over artificial intelligence. Interesting. Interesting. Take that, Skynet. <laughs> this is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with bookstores? There's nothing quite like a good old bookstore. Who doesn't right? love a bookstore? It's who, who doesn't amazing. love a bookstore? Yeah. The, yeah. The and they're like a the smell is amazing, especially when you find one that's older. Like, you know, it's been the an old Victorian era home has been converted into oh, like a I love bookstore. That. There's a bunch of those in Calgary. And you walk in, like the floorboards are super creaky, and then there's like the 
massive basement with all the bargain books and it just uh, it's such an immaculate vibe now that that is the best kind of bookstore that there is as opposed to a university bookstore you know it's brightly usually fluorescent lights oh yeah it's big fluorescent lights and it's really chaotic i mean you probably know you you you're there a little closer than i am in terms of uh years but uh you know going to buy your textbooks what a nightmare because not only you got to worry that yeah. they're not all gone, but they're also ridiculously expensive and all that school merchandise. Uh, but but does that go away when you get older, like buying the, you know, the university jersey and the hoodie and stuff? I mean, do you still have hoodies from your university days? I, uh, I never went to university, went to college, and I regret not buying a SATE RTBN radio television broadcast news hoodie. I can still get one. I can go and buy one. Apparently they're very comfortable, uh, but uh, I never bought it there for right. some reason, probably because I had no money because I was a student, but uh, you know, I would get one now if I could. Yeah. Sure. I wear a McGill uh, sweatshirt very proudly, even though I didn't go there, but my kids went there. So, uh, oh, okay. So you, you, you've earned the right to wear that. You're it's like by proxy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I definitely earned it. If you, if you could see, you know what it cost. but, um, <laughs> one guy from the UK, uh, he went to the university of British Columbia and after 42 years of owning this yellow UBC Thunderbirds t-shirt, he returned it after 42 years to the UBC bookstore. And uh, the UBC bookstore, they gave him a new one. I guess that was just good PR and an opportunity to kind of share this story. He'd visited the store as part of the Cardiff College Rugby Tour in 1981 and purchased a yellow Thunderbirds T-shirt, which he wore with pride over the years, including on trips to Greece and the United States. But Gibbs said he was very disappointed with the quality, claiming it had suffered much wear and tear. He requested a replacement T-shirt, including the original as evidence, along with photos of him wearing it during better times. It, it was a complete complete tongue-in-cheek, saying, look, frankly, this T-shirt was bought in 1981, and I'm not, I'm not satisfied with the product. You can see that it's shrunk. There's holes in it. It's discoloured. There's even paint stains on it, and I expected better. It was just to, just to take the pee a little bit and have a little bit of fun. If we got the tone right, if we understood his sense of humour and, and, and realised what he was doing... Uh, then I thought it was a great idea just to uh, reward him for his cheekiness. Steve was very, very dry, and he said, having inspected the garment, I'm in full agreement with you, and really we should do better. 42 years perhaps slightly exceeded our returns policy, uh, but nonetheless... (laughs) You know, the, the return policy at the UBC bookstore, it requires items to be in a new unworn condition with tags on and the original receipt and to be returned within 30 days. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think that uh, this is, I, I think this is a one-time only deal. So don't send your, your shirt in. It's a good exception. It's yeah. a really good exception. I'd be good on UBC for seeing the, the kind of joke opportunity there. And I think that's pretty cool that the guy, 
you know, hung on to a t-shirt for 42 years. I have like some band shirts that I bought in 2016 that already have holes in them. And I'm a little worried they won't last 42 years. Yeah. I hope they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, good on this guy for, for saving it that long. Are you okay with Karen's? Mm, Karen's. Karen. And I, it's, uh, it's a tough term. Everybody right? knows. It's got like a stereotype. Yeah, term. everybody knows uh, the, what the term means, and uh, I mean it, it. It does have a bit of I don't, I don't know. There, there's a, a little bit of uh, misogyny in there to me. Somewhere there is, there is. But it's you know it's. I think it's a blanket term that people use to cover someone who is unpleasant to deal with working in like a service industry or retail. But when I worked retail, you know, I didn't deal with as many Karens as I did Ken's or Chad's, you know, like it was, it was, there was just a massive stereotype that it's the, I want to speak to the manager. Like that's not really, you're going to run into someone like that every now and then when you work in retail, but most people are just are fine to deal with. And then every now and then you get a stinker who, uh, really wants to ruin your day for the most minor inconvenience. And I think that's why it sticks in the public, you know, kind of. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fine line, right? Kind of entitled. And if you're unfamiliar with the concept of a Karen, this is basically what a Karen is. I want to speak to a manager. No. <gasps> Excuse me. Yeah, that woman is, yeah. you just heard, she's from Calgary, and she went full Karen on some Karens. She bought tickets to a uh, very popular event where the servers dish out insults, and she is demanding her money back after much miscommunication. Yes, someone who went to a Karen event actually asked for the manager. Uh, <laughs> but, but don't be too quick to judge. This is broken. Oh, Karen, or should we say Britta Smith. She's a big fan of the whole shtick. So when she found out Karen's Diner was coming to Calgary, we were pretty excited. We don't go out a ton, so we were like, let's go get verbally abused. (laughs) Yep, that's the premise behind the popular pop-up global dining experience. Diner food served with a side of sarcasm and insults. So just after over 40 bucks for two tickets, which I thought was completely reasonable. She bought in supposedly for November, but that date came and went. When she finally heard from them, she says she was told it was happening, but not sure when. Excuse me? You, you planned this whole thing, you're selling tickets and you don't have a location or dates? A new date has finally been set, along with a link for a new price. But I go to it. And it's now going to cost an additional roughly $80 for the two of us to go to this thing for the night. At this point, are you, do you want to go? No. I've lost all interest. Smith demanded a refund. The response? Ironic. And all I got was an email back saying, okay, I'll talk to my manager and I'll get back to you. And I've heard nothing. Karen's Diner told Global News the event was delayed and pushed back. But ticket goers, it said, were notified, adding anyone wanting a refund can get one immediately. And organizers have told uh, Global News the team will reach out to Smith to clarify what happened and refund her if she decides to go that route. But Smith uh, told us the only route she wants to go right now is the one that gets her money back. So it's like meta Karen. It's just it is Medicare. I'm on I'm on Kim's side on this. I mean, 
you know, rescheduling an event and then upcharging another $80 to go, I would probably ask for my money back too. I think it's just the fact that it was for a, a Karen diner is pretty, yeah. it's just a hilarious circumstance. Have yeah. you ever been to a rude diner like that where you go and they purposely like insult you and well, make fun were, of you while you eat? There was a place in Vancouver in the 80s called the Elbow Room. And we used to go there and they were kind of famous because the, uh, the waiters were, uh, mostly, mostly men, but there were women there too. The wait staff were very, very rude, but everyone loved it. It became, it was sort of part of the shtick. Part of the shtick. Yeah. I actually tried to go into a, uh, a, one of those, I'm not sure if it was the same one, but it was in Vancouver and it was like a marketed, like this place, people are rude to you. You know, food's good, but it's a kind of a gimmick. And I went in and they were closed and they closed like three minutes before I got there. And they literally screamed at me, we're closed, get out. Went, okay, that's <laughs> as much of the experience as I need. Wow. <laughs> that's really rude. Uh, yeah. Very rude. All right. Well, valid. how about this? Are you okay with using your parents' credit card? Yeah, it's free uh, no, money. This is, a rock. this is a tough. This is a tough one for me because my I know for a fact that my both of my parents are listening right now. <laughs> so for that reason, that reason alone, no, yeah. I am responsible with my parents' money. I never ask my parents for money as they can. That's a lie. Um, I no, I'll talk. I'll stop talking. Now. I'm digging myself. <laughs> yes, yeah, I will not be able to climb out of. And it be, we, it, it's it's from both sides too because I know uh, with me. Uh, I was going out for lunch with my daughter <laughs> the other day. My daughter's, uh, you know, uh, 23. And uh, we're leaving. And she said, I'm not bringing my wallet. And I said, of course you're not bringing wow. your wallet. But she felt like she had to warn me. That's bold. <laughs> I, I know. Don't think I, would, I don't think I would ever announce that to my parents before. Well, you lunch, would just like assume. Would, like, like you. I would assume. <laughs> I mean, Ryan, if you went out for lunch with your parents you would just assume yes. they would pay, right? Yeah, yeah, I would I would assume. I also wouldn't mind buying yeah. them dinner on occasion. Has that ever happened? Yes. I don't. Oh, oh, I thought you were asking me. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That's, I, uh, see, now I just sound like a bad son. Now you now feel bad, don't you? See, this is the hole I dug myself. Yeah, but it's it's few and far between. It's rare. Uh, yeah. But anyway, we're talking about using your parents' credit card. And uh, there was a kid in Las Vegas over the weekend. He ordered nearly $1,000 worth of food. Now, this kid is six years old. Uh, Keith and Kristen Stonehouse say their six-year-old son, Mason, uh, spent some time playing on his dad's phone Saturday night before he went to bed. And then after little Mason went to bed, Grubhub showed up and started dropping off orders. And I said, what is going on? Why, why are you bringing me food? He said, I don't know. You ordered from the Shortma place. <laughs> I said, no. Oh. That's when it clicked. He let his six-year-old son, Mason, play with his phone before his bedtime. So I think I left the app open. And he saw that when he was playing with my phone and just started going to town. So he ordered multiple orders, chili cheese fries, the chicken pita wraps. He ordered multiple orders of that, multiple orders of ice cream, pizza. Nearly $1,000 worth of food was ordered. Thankfully, their bank stopped some of it. And then I get an alert on my phone. My card has been declined for fraud from a pizza place for $439. 
<laughs> That's from Fox 5 Vegas. And I could see a six-year-old, because if they're on the phone, like they're playing those games, you know, like Candy Crush or whatever, yeah. and they're just buying stuff. So, I don't know, pizzas. I think it's a and game. St- yeah, so, I think it's, yeah. I so the question is, from. how did they teach this six-year-old Mason uh, not to use dad's credit card? We grabbed his piggy bank and showed him all this money that comes out from the piggy bank one by one. That was this. That was this bag of food. That was this. And you could see his face, you know. I think it sunk in when we were actually taking his money to try to pay back some of it just as like a lesson. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, and they say it's going to take some time before uh, little Mason gets his phone privileges back. That's valid. That's valid. Uh, Is that too harsh to take the money out of the kids' like, piggy bank? Well, I feel I'm, like that's valid. As long as it, it it's not like a threatening thing just to try to explain. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, the bottom line here is I would never let a six-year-old go on my phone. <laughs> no. No. No, it's, uh, it's just a dangerous situation waiting to happen. Yeah. Just, yeah, you could text no. somebody. <laughs> that could be very, very, very bad. Um, okay, how about this one? Uh, are you okay with high school sports? I never, uh, never really did uh, high school sports, honestly. I did... Uh, I did theater sports, like drama, <laughs> improv. That uh, I never did the football. I never even watched a single football game in my high school, and which is funny because basically half the budget of that school went to the football team. Yeah, um, it's you know there was a lot of money in it, but it never really uh, you know I'm a pretty scrawny kid. I was never big into sports, but uh, you know I think it's a good thing to have sports as part of the curriculum and as part of the kind of whole. Uh, you know, spirit of the school, but I do think a lot of high schools put a lot of money into those programs and they could probably be, you know, money well spent in other places. Yeah. It's got to be fair and it's got to teach sportsmanship and all that. And even high school sports are not immune to, to scandals. Like check this out. A 22 year old former assistant coach on a girls basketball team in Portsmouth impersonated a 13 year old player. 22, Uh, the student athlete was out of town at a club basketball tournament. So the team's assistant coach, Alicia Boykin, uh, just stepped right in. Uh, Meanwhile, the coach uh, was encouraging the behavior. Uh, Alicia is apparently a 22-year-old young woman going up against 14- and 15-year-old girls now, we have confirmed that Boykins is no longer an employee of Portsmouth Public Schools. And since this game, the student athletes on the team and parents decided to just end the season. They will not be playing any more games this year. Portsmouth Public Schools did launch an investigation into this matter. The details have not been revealed by officials quite yet. Now, I spoke with the father of the 13-year-old girl that was being impersonated. Here's what he had to say about his reaction when he heard the news. Coaches, you know, always preached to this kids you know about integrity and those type of things so i was just shocked thanks for listening to the shift podcast make sure you subscribe rate and review the show and share with anyone you like get it on apple podcast google podcast spotify and curiouscast.ca 